So good morning. Really glad you're here. Welcome to our Lord's. We're a community of worship and formation on a mission with Jesus. And we've been talking about how Sundays are our bonfire time. So we come together like Gideon's army. We gather together. The Lord's presence is here like a consuming bonfire and we warm, warm up together. And then we get to go out during the week and carry the fire of the Lord. The Lord lights our torches, lights us up and sends us out. So Sundays are important, but what happens in here is meant for us to carry into our spheres of life. Some of you saw we sent out a, an email this week. Uh, our groups are gonna start back up in September. And again, we're, we're gonna figure out how to do that. We might have some online. We might have some with social distancing. We'll figure it out again because the kingdom's unstoppable. And so the Lord's kingdom can work even in times like this. And I just want to say, these are strange days, are they not? Strange days. But they're exciting days for our Lord's. And so today is actually a pretty important day. And we're going to talk about becoming a vineyard. We're going to talk about joining the vineyard movement. I'm going to do a, a couple of things here. But before I do, I want to explain a little bit of background. Very briefly, um, what sets the, the context for today, becoming a vineyard, talking about the kingdom of God. The elder board, almost three years ago, was talking about leaving the RCA, the Reformed Church in America, of which we're a part. Some of you may not even know that. That's okay. Um, but we have some people here who have been part of our Lord's from the beginning. So 43 years of history, and they know the RCA. And so about three years ago, the elders were, were meeting, and I was there, and I got to hear the deliberation. And they talked about leaving the RCA and finding a denomination or a movement with which we could affiliate. And so this is a process that's been in the making for years. And so last year, the elder board voted unanimously to join the vineyard movement. And there is no perfect movement out there. There's no perfect people out there. And so some of you might say, well, I know some things about the vineyard, some really good things, and I know some areas where it needs to grow. Well, find a perfect movement for me out there. There is none because there's people in it, people like you and me. And so what I'm inviting us into really over the next three weeks is to take a look at the Vineyard Movement and to hear a little bit about the process that we're in. And so I, the Vineyard has opened their arms and said, we want to adopt you into our movement. And so we're ready to go with them. And... On the other hand, the RCA has a formal process through which we have to walk. And so we're working out the timetable of that. And they have something called the Book of Church Order. And so we have to abide by that and walk through that. And I want to say we're doing this graciously. So we're on good terms with the RCA. It's not like, hey, we're taking our stuff and leaving. We're mad at you. That's not it at all. And why we're leaving is the RCA is working through some things theologically right now that we just don't want to be aligned with. So I can talk about that more. You can visit the RCA website. 
So over the next several weeks, these three weeks, but then beyond that, we're going to be learning more about the vineyard movement. And just to let you know, there's going to be some logistics. Wallace will be talking more about this, but we're going to be taking a vote. And some of you might think, well, that's kind of strange. Well, the RCA, that's the way they do it. And I actually appreciate it. I appreciate that they would require a church that's leaving the denomination to take a vote. Do you know why? That's so crazy rogue pastors can't take a church where they don't want to go. So it's a good thing. Do you hear me on that? Some of us might go, ah, that seems kind of old school, and that's, it's okay. It's, it's okay. They're, they're really, they're safeguards so that they know the church, you, wants to go in this direction. So my goal for the next several weeks is to tell you where we're going, why we're going, and what that entails. Sound good? So we're going to do this three-part series, and then we're in the process of providing online resources. So on the Our Lord's website, we're going to have some podcasts, some videos, some things you can read to immerse yourself and learn more about the vineyard, their theology, their history, their practices. Sound good? And this morning, we actually have a handout. The kids like it, right? That's an amen back there. We have a handout, and Connie, these are in the resource center, right? Yep, on the table. So some of you have looked through our resource center there. There's a, a table there at the center with things highlighted, and you can grab this uh, brief little reading here, and it will walk you through some of the history of the Vineyard Movement, some of its theology, some of its values. And we'll be learning more about that. So for the next three weeks, today we're going to talk about the kingdom of God and the vineyard. Next week we're going to talk about the Father's love and our worship as a response to the Father's love. And then thirdly, we're going to talk about walking with the Holy Spirit like Jesus. So these are vineyard values, vineyard distinctives rooted in the scriptures. So looking briefly here, I want to do three things this morning. I want to talk about the kingdom of God as the overarching theme in the Bible I want to talk about the kingdom of God as the driving force of the church. And then where I want to spend most of the time is looking a little bit at the vineyard. All right? So, Brock, what in the world is the kingdom of God? What is the kingdom of God? Well, it's many things. Boiled down in simplicity, the kingdom of God is the presence of God. It is the rule and reign of God. And so when you want to know what the kingdom of God is and what it looks like, look at Jesus. He embodies the kingdom. He is the kingdom. He is the king. And so he embodies the rule and reign of God. And so you can look at him and his life and the gospels and you can see, ah, that's what the kingdom is like. It's a kingdom of love, not a kingdom of political domination, not a kingdom of tyranny. We'll look at this in a moment, but he is the rule and reign of God in the flesh. So the kingdom of God, we could talk about it in many ways. And what I just want to do briefly is I want to show you how central the kingdom of God is to the Bible. And we did a series on this recently, but I just want to revisit a little bit. The, the Old Testament is a kingdom story. In the book of Exodus, Exodus 15, I've got a verse up here. You can look and see very early on 
in the biblical narrative. Very early on in the story, the Lord is letting us know it's a kingdom story. Exodus 15 verse 1 says this, the Lord is a warrior. The Lord will reign forever. And I just want to acknowledge for a moment, okay, if we're going to have the kids in here some, it does not bother me. Okay, I've told you that, and some of you are probably worried. Is that bothering? It doesn't bother me. I've taught, I taught for 12 years, and I had students doing everything imaginable while we were in class. For, I mean, I've had students literally almost fall out of a chair while we're spending. I mean, it's, so I am good, okay? And I'm inviting you into the comfortability, okay? So let's just throw off any sense of it bothers Brock. If it bothers you, we got to learn how to accommodate, okay? And I'm not speaking that harshly. It's just this is what the international church does. If you go to the church in Nigeria, I, you got a lot of kids in there. And they are singing and crying and the, the whole nine. Same thing, church all over the world. So can we just grow into that and lean into it together? Is that okay? Is that all right with you? Okay. So we may have all kinds of joyful noises. I am good with it. If you start to fall asleep, then I may call you out. Jay, wake up. No, I'm joking. So the Old Testament story is a kingdom story. And from early on in those first five books of Moses, the whole Exodus story itself is the Lord saying, I'm bringing my kingdom to Egypt. And every plague was actually a judgment against their gods, against their deities. And it was the Lord saying, I am the Lord not Ra, the sun god. And so it's a kingdom story. And the Lord from the beginning was saying, when my kingdom comes, I deliver enslaved people. And so we see that the Lord got involved and liberated a slave people, the Israelites. And so it's a kingdom narrative from the beginning. The Lord goes on in the prophets, and he speaks through the prophets again, saying that the kingdom of God is central to what the book says. It's central to the whole story. Daniel 2, Daniel 7, you can go and look at this later, but Daniel has a series of visions dealing with the empires of man, human empires. And in his vision, there is a stone a strange stone that appears and collides with this statue, basically at the feet, and destroys the whole thing, pulverizes it. And then this little strange stone filled the earth, like a mountain that filled the entire earth. And the word of the Lord came through Daniel and said, this is my kingdom. I'm going to send my Messiah as a king, and he will establish his kingdom in the earth. And it will outstrip all the other human empires. And so it's a kingdom story, friends, the Bible. Then we get to the New Testament. And of course, what is the first thing on the lips of Jesus in the Gospels? In Mark, for example, Mark 1, what does Jesus come saying? The kingdom of God is here. Look at Mark 1.14. It's on a slide up here. And again, we're going to move through these things. I'm just showing you that the theology of the kingdom is central to the Old Testament and the New Testament. Mark 1.14. After John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the good news, the gospel, and saying, what does he say? The time is fulfilled. 
and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So friends, it is a kingdom story. Then we go on and read in Luke eleven twenty. The whole ministry of Jesus is characterized by the kingdom. Look at what he says in Luke eleven twenty. He's been driving demons out of people and healing the sick, proclaiming the gospel. And look at what he says at Luke eleven twenty. If it is by the finger of God, it's a figure of speech, for the spirit of God that I cast out demons, then what? The kingdom of God has come to you. And so Jesus is saying he really is the fulfillment of all of those messianic promises. He embodies, he carries, he demonstrates the power of the kingdom through his healing and through the deliverance of people oppressed by demons. Now the New Testament goes on to show that the apostles and the early church continue the very ministry of Jesus. And why am I talking about this? This is at the heart of vineyard theology and practice. I'm gonna talk more about that in a minute. But look at Luke 9, one through two. I know we're going rather quickly, but I'm trying to cover some things in scripture so other things will make sense here in a few moments. Luke 9, one to two. The apostles, the early church, the early disciples, Jesus calls the 12 together and he gives them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. So the whole gospel of Luke is about Jesus doing it. He's proclaiming the kingdom of God and then he's demonstrating it through his words. I mean, through his works, through his actions. And now he turns to his disciples and he says, it's up to you now. Now you get to do what I've been doing. I'm modeling it for you, and you go do it. And then you go show other people how to do it, proclaiming and demonstrating the kingdom. I'm going to skip over some things, but in Acts, the whole narrative is about the kingdom of God. Actually, we've got to look at one verse. Acts 1. You can look in your Bible, or you can look up a slide here. Acts 1 to 3. I just want to show you again, this is a thread that runs through the whole story. It is the story. So Acts 1, Jesus, after his suffering, he presents himself alive to his followers by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over 40 days. And look at what he's talking to them about. He's speaking about the kingdom of God. Wouldn't you have liked to have been there? 40 days hanging out with the resurrected Jesus, hearing him talk about the kingdom of God. So it's obviously central. Central in the Old Testament. Central in the New Testament. And we could go on and on. It's true for us too, friends. So we can look at it in scripture. It's also true for the post-biblical era. So outside of scripture, once the canon of scripture is closed, it's not like that era is over. This continues now. Matthew 24, 14. Look at this. Brock, how do you know it continues now, proclaiming the kingdom and doing these things? Look at what it says. Matthew 24, 14. The gospel of the kingdom of God will be proclaimed throughout the world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. So Jesus lays out a mission and a mandate for his church for all time to take the gospel of the kingdom to all nations. 
before the end can come, before he fully consummates the kingdom. Now, this is rich stuff, very substantive, many facets to it, and I think one word picture is immensely helpful. We've talked about it, but I want us to think about it over and over again because we can look around and say, well, I don't see much of the kingdom. (laughs) And that's what we long for and lean into and want is more of the kingdom. But there's a, a great word picture from World War II. Some of you remember it. Anybody remember this word picture? June 1944, the Allied troops storm the beaches of Normandy in France. And they push the German army, the Nazis, all the way back to Germany. And that's in June of 44. Well, 11 months go by. Battle continues to rage and people die. And the Allied troops are fighting the German troops. And this continues through the spring of 1945 until V-Day, a day of victory, is announced. And friends, that's a picture of where we are now. Jesus has come through his life, death, and resurrection and initiated the kingdom of God. The kingdom is already here. He's won. But we are in a fierce battle in this interim, this in-between time, while we're waiting for the not yet, for him to come and for him to wrap this whole thing up and to make his enemies a footstool for his feet, and it will come. His timetable is different. Just want to say before we look at one other thing, this is the cause that people are looking for. Young people, listen to me for a moment. This is the cause you want to throw yourself into. This right here. The kingdom of God. Am I right, John? My friend John Rutke saved in the Jesus People movement. This was the cause he was looking for. He was a Buddhist evangelist. Won his whole family to Buddha. Tripping on drugs. Had all the pleasures he needed and Jesus came crashing into his life and brought the kingdom to him and wrecked him for life. And he's been on fire ever since. So young people, Luke, your friends, this is the cause for you. There's nothing else like it. So give yourself to it wholly. Spend time in the scriptures. Develop a a history with God. Learn to pray. Learn to fast. Learn to walk with Jesus. Learn to share the message of the kingdom the good news with other people. There is nothing else worthy of this. I mean, we want to throw ourselves into this body, soul, and spirit. We want to use everything that we are and all that we have for this cause. The Lord, Lord, our money, our possession, our lives, our children, this is the cause. Amen? And the Lord's going to be teaching us more about that. And if we don't deliver this message then we're selling people short. This is it. Endless drugs, endless sex, endless pleasure, endless travel, endless things, endless nice car, all of that pales. It's ridiculous. You will never be satisfied until you taste and throw yourself into the cause of the kingdom. So very briefly here, because I want to spend the rest of the time Second point, the kingdom of God is the driving force behind the church. The kingdom of God 
is the driving force behind the church. It creates the church. It's not the church. The church is not the kingdom. The kingdom creates the church, and we get, in a sense, to steward or be a custodian of the kingdom. This is super important right now, my friends, because the enemy wants to take our eye off of the kingdom and put it on politics, the kingdoms of men and women. And the Lord is lifting up our gaze and saying, no, you're kingdom people. And so I want to invite us afresh, the kingdom, central story of the Bible, the driving force behind the church, and I want us to put on kingdom glasses. Just do that with me. Young ones, kids, put your kingdom glasses on right here. Kingdom goggles so that we view everything through the lens of the kingdom, through scripture, through the story of the kingdom, but we, we view everything. So as you read the media, as you're politically involved, which we celebrate here, we're active, we don't stick our head in the sand, but you put the kingdom goggles on and you say, what I'm reading right now, what I'm hearing from this movement, does it line up with the kingdom of God and the kingdom's agenda? If it doesn't, we set it aside. That's a difficult thing. That requires prayer, meditation on the scripture, community with other people, reading things. But we at our Lord's want kingdom spectacles, kingdom goggles on so that we're kingdom people. And I've been trying to do that recently. And there are a lot of times where I get fired up about something. I read something and man, I feel fire in my belly. I put kingdom glasses on and I say, that's not the kingdom. That's something else. I can still feel some, some fire over it, but I'm called, you're called to be people of the kingdom. So we can join with one another. The ethics of the kingdom are radically different. Look at this, then we're going to switch gears and look at the vineyard history. Look at John 18, 36. Jesus is speaking about the kingdom, and he's letting us know something about the kingdom. And this should be your chiropractic work for the day. Because I think we often we misinterpret the kingdom or we're involved in the kingdoms of men and women. And this right here is your adjustment. John 18, 36. Jesus speaking with these various Roman leaders, right? And he answers and he says, my kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jews. But as it is, in case you didn't hear me, my kingdom is not from here. His kingdom is different. His kingdom is a kingdom of self-sacrifice and love, laying down our lives for one another. It's a kingdom that inverts all the other kingdoms. So Jesus, we want to have your kingdom shape us, to shape our minds, shape our hearts, inform us in these days. So what do you think? Are you convinced that the kingdom is somewhat important from Genesis to Revelation? Man, we could talk about this, and if this piques your interest, you can get online and look at a series. We did 12 weeks on the kingdom, but I'm just reminding us the kingdom is the central theme, the central motif the central story to scripture. And the Lord calls us to be his kingdom witnesses. What I wanna do here for a minute, 
Actually, I'm going to pause just like I would in class, and I'm going to give you about 30 seconds or so to just sit, clear your head. You can chat with the person next to you, and then we're going to come back and talk about the vineyard. Sound okay? I'm going to give you one minute, all right? And then I'll, I'll come back. It's kind of like we've had our face over a fire hydrant a little bit, so you just turn to someone, chat for a minute, and I'll come back in one minute. Okay, give you a little space there because we are going to take a few minutes and talk about the vineyard. And I am, I'm taking a little bit more time today, we just need it. Is that okay with you? It's important stuff, it's a transitional moment in our church and so I want us to have plenty of time and again, we'll be sending you information so you can do further research. Right? We want, we'll send you some links, we'll provide things so that you can be learning more about this. But what I thought I'd do is just take a few minutes and talk, talked about the kingdom which is central to the vineyard, kingdom theology and practice, and now we're going to look at the vineyard movement. I'm going to ask that you put, do we have slides or no? Have we, we've had slides, right? If you'll put that image of John Wimber up for me, John and Carol Wimber going to be the people we're going to focus on. But John was born in 1934. Maybe you can show the one prior to that one as well in Missouri, Kirksville. He was the only child and he was abandoned by his father on the day of his birth. So he was born, his dad left him and his mother remarried. His family was not religious at all. We're looking at John because the Lord's going to use this guy right here to launch the vineyard movement in the 80s. He was a musical prodigy. He won jazz awards as a young guy, but his upbringing was pretty sad. Abandoned by his dad, and we'll see he gets into drugs and various things, but he mar marries Carol in 1955, so at age 21, and they quickly had three kids and they lived in Las Vegas and he had a burgeoning blossoming music career he was actually managing the righteous brothers some of you what's what's their big hit that you're aware of you've lost that love and feeling right there you go thanks that's my mom singing that thank you mom there that's their big hit but they had a lot of other hits didn't they and he was managing them. He was helping to arrange their music. He actually played the saxophone in the Righteous Brothers. So this dude was no joke. He was a serious musician. His career skyrocketed. And his personal life fell apart. So he strung out on drugs. He and Carol, their marriage was in shambles. And she said, I'm leaving you. In 1962, after seven years of marriage, she said, I'm out, John. So she took the three kids and moved to L.A. And so in desperation, John didn't know what to do. He's a pagan. He doesn't know where to go, what to turn to. So what does he do? He goes to the desert, drives out to the desert, and cries out for help. And little did he know that God was doing something in his wife, Carol, at that moment. So Carol called him and said, John, I'll give you one more chance one more opportunity to mend our marriage. And so he moved to Los Angeles, to Orange County, and make a long story short, John and Carol met with some friends there because their 
marriage was just in a desperate place and they needed help. And these friends said, we found Jesus. And John's like, who? <laughs> what? I mean, he literally was totally uneducated in all things Christian. So he ends up involved in a Bible study. Is this interesting to you? I find it fascinating. I love hearing stories of unlikely people getting saved and used mightily. John and Carol both end up being mentored by a guy named Gunnar Payne. And what begins to happen in John and Carol is a quickening, a hunger for the word of God is awakened in them. They're saved and they are just ravenous for God and for his word and for his truth. It's like they've lived so many years without it, now they're famished for it. So John ends up at a crossroads. He's now a Christian. He and Carol are studying the Bible, living in Orange County. And listen to this. This is amazing. The Righteous Brothers, the band that he's with, say, John, we really want you to recommit to what's going on with us. We're about to tour with this band called the Beatles. And we need you to join us. We need you to play, arrange, and be involved as we go and tour with the Beatles. And John said no. <laughs> so we get to see from early on that John is serious. Jesus has invaded his life. He has laid hold of the pearl of great price and there's nothing else that compares. So John Wimber turns down the righteous brothers touring with the Beatles and says, I'm throwing myself in to the cause of the kingdom. So, looking at what is most important here. And what I'm going to do is provide some links so you can watch a story. Anybody interested in watching this? I think I'm going to send some links out. But this story is really interesting. What ends up happening is John and Carol, part of this Bible study, part of a, a collection of churches. And you know what, friends? They're cessationist. What do I mean by that? Something has ceased. What is it? The gifts of the Holy Spirit. So John is in this context. They're Bible people. They're word people studying the scriptures. And they're convinced the gifts of the Spirit have ceased. And he ends up connecting with Fuller Seminary in Pasadena, California. And the Lord reorients his thinking he ends up meeting various people and he becomes fully convinced that the gifts have not ceased, but they're continuing to this day. He begins to read his Bible with new eyes and see that when Jesus proclaims and demonstrates the kingdom, he passes that on to his disciples and it's to continue to this day. And so John ends up working at Fuller Seminary and he ends up having a course, MC 510, missionary church planning course and the Holy Spirit shows up in his class and rocks the whole of Fuller Seminary and so the course switches from one thing to becoming a course on signs and wonders and how to train Christians to go and do the works of Jesus powerful powerful story so fast forward a little bit John is now a Bible guy and a spirit guy. And in 1982, John has been with Calvary Chapel. How many of you know of Calvary Chapel? Yeah, we 
talked about it. That's the one that Lonnie Frisbee, a friend of John Rutke's here, went and helped usher in a move of God, the power of the Holy Spirit. So John is part of that in 1982 with Chuck Smith. And what happens in 1982 is John decides to leave and partner with another group of Calvary Chapel pastors, including this guy named Ken Gullickson. Ken has seven churches, seven church plants. And by the way, one of them, Bob Dylan, got saved in. Really cool stuff that's going on there. So in 1982, Ken Gullickson says, John, will you and Carol lead this group of churches? And we've decided to call it the Vineyard. The Lord spoke to him from Isaiah 5. And John prayerfully considers it, decides to lead it. The rest is history. So it starts as seven churches in 1982 and ends up expanding in the 80s and 90s and brings us to where it is today. It's a church planning movement of 2,400 churches worldwide and 800 in the U.S. And they are, they are expanding by the month and we get to be a part of this. So I know that there's a lot of detail there, but are you okay with that? That's really kind of the skeletal story there. That's a sketch of the story, and it's important to know what our genealogy is. And again, I, I just wanna say, the Lord chooses unlikely people. Who did the Lord choose to write most of the New Testament? The Apostle Paul. He was persecuting Christians. He was a Christ and church hater, and the Lord said, I want him. And so I think in various movements, the Lord will pick people, someone like Wimber, strung out on cocaine, producing jazz music, totally pagan, and the Lord says, I want him. Sovereignly invades his life, puts the kingdom of God in him, trains him, mentors him, and he ends up leading a worldwide movement. And so we're going to learn more about this. And I just want to invite you into learning more about becoming a vineyard. Something real important, though, and we'll transition after this, but there is a DNA, a genetic code in the vineyard. And friends, you know what? It's here. It's here in operation already. I remember talking with Dale Osink a few years ago who was involved in our Lord's from the onset, very early on. And he told me, he said, you wouldn't believe how influential John Wimber has been on our Lord's history. When we were praying for the sick, and we were one of the only churches in town to be doing this, we learned how to do it from John Wimber and John Wimber's healing prayer model. So friends, we carry some vineyard DNA already. I remember Esther saying last year, probably about seven, eight months ago, it feels like we're kind of flowering into what we've been from the beginning. So we're grateful for the RCA background, but we're looking to the future on what God has for us. Amen? This DNA genetic code, I'm just going to list a few of these things out. Teaching and valuing the scriptures. Worship, small groups, spiritual gifts, training, 
ministry to the poor, evangelism, church planting, and ecumenical or relationships with other churches across traditions. That's our DNA. And you already see many of those things present in our Lord's. And we're going to be pouring water on them and cultivating them in the coming days. One other thing that the vineyard prizes and values is the main and the plain. Let's say that together. The main and the plain. So if we're kingdom people called to proclaim and demonstrate the kingdom of God, we always say, okay, what is the main and the plain of Scripture? And that keeps us navigating a true north. And so, again, in a political climate like this, when there are various messages or things calling us, we're like, we're kingdom people. We're focusing on the main and the plain. We're supposed to bring the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God, pray for the sick, be a part of planting churches. Much more to talk about. I know that was like putting your face over a fire hydrant, but I wanted to take adequate time to talk about the kingdom, to talk about some of the story, and we'll be providing more. Next week, we're going to talk about what is at the heart of the vineyard movement, and that is the Father's love. The love of the Father for us, and then our response in worship.